Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Everybody feeling all right today? It's good to see you all. Two scriptures we're going to read from this morning. I want you to find these two verses in your Bible. We're going to first of all find Genesis chapter 16. And I'm going to use that as a main text. But just before I read that, I want to read one verse out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. And I just want to read one verse, verse number 22. 1 Timothy 5. Uh, It feels so very good. It's always good for me when my wife travels up to Chandler with me. And so I get a little extra excited. So she's here with me, encouraging me along the way. And so I'm glad to be here today. Hallelujah. Mm, That food was good yesterday, by the way. Praise God. Y'all know how I get about chicken, and so I had a piece of chicken. They gave me some of the hot links, and I asked the lady when she passed me by the links, I had missed the chicken bucket. And she gave me the links. I said, where the chicken? She said, you want chicken? I said, I want chicken. I said, shoot, my middle name is chicken. And And so, man, I was munching on the chicken, and it was good. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to read Genesis 16, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, some of you maybe years ago, we're going back a few years ago, I was preaching in, our, in, 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 in a revival here with this congregation. And I may have told you a story uh, about a man named Winston Gale, who was a quadriplegic who was healed in his wheelchair um, down in Jamaica. The story has become a bit of a parable to me, and there's at least five or six different messages that I've been developing through the pain that I've suffered in watching this man slip away from God. And I've talked about, you know, backsliding. I've talked different messages about, you know, keeping your eyes on Jesus. There's so many things that I've used his story to try to illustrate because it's always a sad thing when people slip away from God, isn't it? Come on, you know it's true. It's a painful thing, not just for a pastor, but for anyone. And more than that, for God himself. But those of you who may never heard the story of Winston Gale, uh, give me a couple of minutes just to refresh your memory about who he is. He was a, a taxi driver down in Kingston, Jamaica, who had an accident and was paralyzed from the top of his neck all the way down. Instead of the normal paraplegic from the waist down, he was a quad, so he had no use of hands or legs. He could turn his neck you know, from side to side. He could talk you know, with struggling because he was paralyzed in his chest. But we met him on an outreach after giving out, I believe, over 50 or 60,000 flyers. And we had one flyer left because we were doing a crusade. And the ladies there kind of said, who should we give it to? And we saw him there begging on the street corner, kind of had his hand out like this. And so instead of putting a few money in it, we went by and gave him that flyer. And he came to the crusade that night with his nephew pushing him in his wheelchair. 
Now, as we were preaching on the stage and we had all the song service, everything was going on, out in the middle of the crowd, we noticed that there was a big commotion and people kind of left their attention from the stage and everybody kind of moved toward the center of the crowd. Winston Gale had gotten up out of his wheelchair. He was healed. No one prayed for him. No one laid hands on him. This was just a sovereign act of a good God. Hallelujah. And he said later that he just began to believe as we were preaching. When he read on the flyer that says the lame walk, the the deaf hear and the blind see. And something made him believe. And he came there that night and got up out of a wheelchair. Listen to me, folks. We don't serve a dead God. He's very much alive today. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. So Winston started coming to church, and where we had church was kind of in an upstairs room. And so he would climb those stairs, you know, with those little weak legs. He had been healed, you know, no muscle activity for years. And so he's climbing the stairs very slow, and people would come just to see the man who got out of the wheelchair. A lot of people knew him as a taxi driver, and so we would go out preaching, and I would always, you know, tell your testimony, tell him. And he would tell people how he was crippled, and, and crowds would come. And, and literally, in the first few years we were in Jamaica, we built that church off of that man's miracle. So many people came and said, I believe God got that man up out of there. It was a great miracle. Well, let me tell you what happened to Winston. <clears throat> there was a lady in our church. She was a very notorious gossip. And gossip is always bad. You know, I know we as preachers, you know, we preach on the immorality and we preach on the adultery and we preach on the sodomy and we deal, you know, but I'm going to tell you, gossip is a horrible thing. And I've watched churches be destroyed, families be destroyed. I mean, workplaces and schools and people lose their jobs over gossip far more than any other one single thing because people simply can't control their mouth. And so, hallelujah. Now listen. He told me he was going to help me. Now listen. So what happened was she began to gossip this lady in our church about Winston, and she would just say horrible things. He's not really a Christian. He only comes to church to get the pastor's money. And she only said that because from time to time I would give him a little bit of money, you know, until he got on his feet because he had been poor. He's a quadriplegic, you know, and and now he can't really work. And, And so I'd give him a little something, and that's a good Christian thing to do, isn't it? But she began to torment and gossip. He, you know, he's not really no Christian. And, you know, and, and, and he's just begging the pastor and blah, blah, blah. And, and eventually those words made their way back to him and literally wounded his soul. Because he was sincere and he did love God. And those words got down inside of him and, and he eventually stopped coming to church. And I used to go to his house and say, Winston, come on, man, get back in church. And he wouldn't come and the church is full of hypocrites and devils. And I say, yeah, there might be a few in there. I said, but there's a few everywhere you go, Winston. Just come on back to church. No, nah, he wouldn't come. And, and he was so wounded and embittered that it really literally pushed him outside of the kingdom of God. Listen to me, folks. That is a bad thing. So we went through all of that stuff, and I couldn't get him to come back to church. And eventually I left England to, I mean, left Jamaica to move to England. And I went by his house as we were going to fly out to London just to let him know I was leaving the country and say goodbye to him. And when he came to the gate, it was such a tragic moment for me because he, had, he was sitting back in his wheelchair. 
Now, he hadn't lost his miracle completely, but his legs had started stiffening back up. And he's kind of scooting along with his legs in the wheelchair and rolling. And, and his hands were getting weaker. And, and you could tell just a matter of months and all of that powerful miracle would be gone. And I begged him one more time. I said, Winston, please come. Farewell service I'm going to have. I want you to be there. Church, I don't believe in no church. He had gotten so embittered. He literally said, I don't believe in no church. And I said, listen, even if you don't love the institution of the church, I said, Jesus loves you, Winston. Jesus, I don't believe in no Jesus. That's what he said. And as I walked away, we finally got on the plane and moved to England. The, the, his story just even today it just keeps, keeps yielding more treasures as I read scriptures and see illustrations of, of how the devil really is a robber. Come on, can you say amen? And I remember thinking as I put together this message about Winston's story again. Because even though every man must give an account of his own sins and all of your own failures before God, the reality that I want to speak to you about this morning is this. Listen to me closely. You must be able to survive when other people sin. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? And so I can use as a title for my message, Surviving Other People's Sin. Because what destroyed Winston Gale was not so much that he was this wicked, evil, dark character and just wanted to walk away from God. There was somebody else in that congregation working evil and manipulating with gossip and destructive words that literally harmed him so bad that pushed him out of the kingdom of God. And you got to understand something, folks. We will all have to give an account to God for those things one day. So I want to talk to you about surviving other people's sins. See, Winston could not survive that lady's gossip. Can you say amen? Now, as I'm even getting ready to get into my message, there's people here today. Folks have been gossiping about you. And I'm so glad that you came to church today. Because the stuff going through your head and the feelings inside of your spirit have got you so buzzed out that if you don't hear from God today, you might not make it. And God's word is, um, regardless of what people do, you've got to survive when other people sin. And so I want to talk to you about that. Now look at 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, before I read this main text. <clears throat> and I want, you to sh- I want to show you how Paul in the New Testament breaks this down for us. 1 Timothy 5, verse number 22. Take a look at it, everybody. I'm going to read what it says. It says this. It says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily or suddenly, nor or neither share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Look at it one more time. Do not lay hands on anyone suddenly, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, look at me before I go to Genesis 16. There is powerful truth in that scripture for your spiritual survival. And I'm going to tell you what he says. 
If you have an older version of the Bible, the original King James, it will say, be not partakers of other men's sins. Now, there are two things that that scripture means that you must understand this morning if you're going to survive. Number one is when other people do things, you can't do it with them. So if somebody says, come on, let's go and rob the bank, you say, rob the bank by your own crazy self. Come on, can you say amen? If somebody says, come on, let's go steal some purses or let's go and tell some lies and let's do this. And in other words, you can't be a partaker of somebody else's sins. Now, that's only one portion of the scripture. The other portion is you must not be affected by what other people do. Let me explain to you. Now, if I'm having a nice barbecue chicken meal. And so I've got a whole spread, you know, I've got the mashed potatoes and the candied yams and barbecue chicken, the whole thing, collard greens, and we got a whole thing working here in front of my table. Now, let's say Brother John Johnson comes in. Now, he likes soul food like me. And so he said, Brother Marty, how about some of that chicken? And I said, you know, John, I love you, man. I'm going to share my chicken with you. And so I cut it in half and give him a piece. Now, let's assume that that chicken is so delicious. For the next six months, John and I, every time we get together, we're going to be talking about that chicken. Man, remember that chicken? Woo! Remember that chicken, bro? That chicken was bad, wasn't it? And we're going to talk about that chicken for months. But imagine if that chicken had food poisoning in it. We're also going to be suffering together, aren't we? Oh, Lord, man, what's wrong with that chick? I got to go to the bathroom, man. So the point is, if the chicken is good, we share the joy. If the chicken is bad, we share the pain. Say amen, somebody. So the point that Paul is making is you can't partake or share in someone else's sins, which literally is teaching us is if, 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 if somebody else sins, You can't go to hell for them. Come on, somebody, listen to what I'm saying today. If they are going to do something destructive and dangerous, what the scripture is teaching us, uh, hey, don't let that influence you. If they're going to go to hell, let them go to hell by themselves. Don't you go to hell with them. Come on, somebody, shout hallelujah. And so the message is, don't let what somebody else's sin does influence you in the same way. Because they are going to die and go to hell. Don't you get jacked up with them and then you die and go to hell also. This is powerful. He says, God says, I don't want you to do that. Now the reality of the text that I'm going to read in Genesis 16 bears this out in story form. So I want everybody to look at it closely, Genesis 16, the first 11 verses. And I want to share a few thoughts out of this about surviving other people's sin. Anybody here want to be a survivor? Praise the Lord. Listen, all around us, people do wrong, don't they? But not just that, most of the complaints that I get from people when they're going through things spiritually and they feel like, you know, they're not trusting God well or Maybe there's issues of their faith and they've been hurt 
or wounded. And when you sit down to try to advise people and encourage them, if you listen to what they're saying, most of the time, what they're going through is a result of something somebody else either said or did. And they're sitting there struggling. And, you know, my boss at work, Pastor, <laughs> oh, that lady tried to get me fired. And, man, my nieces showed up to the house and they won't leave. And my brother and sister moved in, ate all the food. And I ain't helping me with the light bill. And if you just listen to people, what's happening in most people's life is a result of something somebody else is bringing to them. Which means today, if you're going to make it, you got to learn how to survive other people's sins. Now, let's read the scripture, Genesis 16, the first 11 verses, and let's hear what God would say to us. Genesis 16, verse number 1, it says this. Now, Sarah Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, see, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. When Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, And submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child. And you shall bear a son. Call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now we're going to pray over these verses today and I'm going to ask you to give me your attention These next few moments, because I really believe God wants to undergird and strengthen us. God's going to make us survivors today. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we so thank you. Lord, that you are here today and that we sense your Holy Spirit's presence. I thank you for this anointing, God, that we feel. We thank you, Lord, for just the joy of worshiping you today. God, there are people here suffering greatly. Not because of something they've done, but something someone else has done. And oh God, may you send grace to minister today and let them know that here at this altar there is hope and there is help. I plead the blood of Jesus right now over every imagination, every idea that is contrary to your will in this message today. 
And God, stop the lies of hell right now in Jesus' name and give your people victory. Let us walk out of here with a new strength and fervor to serve you, with a new idea toward the things people do. I thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would everybody say amen? All right, now everybody, what I want you to think about with me is exactly what the scripture we've read in Genesis 16 is trying to teach us about Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar as it relates to surviving other people's sins. Now look up here at me, everybody, please. This is so important. The Bible tells us that Sarah and Abraham have no children. Sarah comes up with the idea, Abraham, I'm going to give you the maid. You go in with her and get her pregnant, and then we'll take the child and graze it as an heir. And the Bible says, Sarah took Hagar, gave her to her husband. Come on, is that right it says? And then after the whole thing came down, Sarah says, my wrong be upon you. So the Bible makes it clear that this whole thing is birthed in Sarah's heart. It literally says that she confesses that it's my wrong. And so the whole surrounding text is all about Sarah and how she got so impatient. And here, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help God with this plan. Everything blows up. And Sarah sits there with her arms crossed while Hagar leaves that home about to ruin her life, her future, and her destiny. Not because... Of what Hagar did, but because of what Sarah did. If you see it, I want you to say amen. And so we can literally say that Hagar is not surviving somebody else's sin. Sarah did the wrong. Sarah had the wickedness. Sarah came up with the evil plan. But guess what? Sarah is not the one dying. She did the wickedness. She did the evil. But over here, this innocent woman, Hagar, has packed up. She's taken off. She's left the covering of this family where God has brought her into Abraham's home. She's left everything that God has given her as heirship and blessing because something that somebody else did. I wonder if anybody in here, you'd know somebody like that. Or I wonder something else. How many of you sitting here, you're like that? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there's some wicked ex-husbands in Arizona. There's some wicked ex-wives too. Come on, folks. There's some wicked, evil, perverted parents here. Come on, Arizona's got sunshine, but listen, there's a whole lot of darkness in Arizona too. And the world that you and I come from is not a perfect world. It's a world where people have sinned against us. And when we walk into Jesus Christ, sometimes the memory and and the pain and the worry and the constant battle with this is so much that it can break us down wearily. And here God is telling us we've got to be able to survive when other people sins. He said, don't be a partaker. He said, oh, Pastor Carnegie, but I'm not doing what they're doing. That's only one part of what the scripture means. The other part is don't let their hell become your hell. Come on, say amen with me. 
In other words, if they're going to go to prison for robbing a store, say, hey, you go rob the 7-Eleven by yourself. I'm not going to prison for your sin. Oh, man, just sit in the car and drive. So you know what? Hey, I'm not going to be a partaker of your sin. Come on. When people come to you so they can plot strategies against family members and against people who you work with, you're going to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to get fired for you. Hey, well, I'm going to get fired. Yeah, you're going to get fired. No, the Bible says I can't be a partaker of your sin. In other words, uh, I am not going to let you influence me. I am going to survive it. Now, folks, this is powerful because all throughout human history, This, what I'm talking about today, has ruined more than I would like to even admit to you here today. Let me tell you a true story. You know, my years in England were great years as a pastor. One of the dark points came when we sent out a man to pastor a church in a northern city in England. And he told his wife one night, I don't want to be married to you anymore. That's not a good thing for a pastor to say. So he comes home and just said, you know, I don't want to be married to you anymore. So when she began to let us know all this was going, we, we can't figure He's such a good guy. He's a great preacher. What in the world? Is he losing his mind or what? You know, you, you can't pastor a church and say, I don't want to be married to your wife. Well, well, we'll get divorced and you go back to London to the mother church and I'll just stay here and be the pastor. You can't do foolishness like that. Come on. Can you say Amen. And so when we begin to deal with him, he began to accuse us. I haven't done anything. I didn't commit adultery. You have no grounds for removing me from this church. I said, absolutely, I do. You say, you don't want to be married to your wife anymore. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't done anything. I said, listen, you can play that, you know, Bill Clinton game if you want to. Like, I don't know what yes means and maybe and no. And I'm not really sure if I know. I don't know if sex maybe was it was it. Yes, it was. See, you can play that game if you want to. See, but I know what the Bible says. So you ain't staying no pastor in this fellowship talking about you don't want to be married to your wife. Send her back to London. I said, it ain't going to work. Come out. <laughs> and so we started dealing with him. And so we removed him from being the pastor. Come on, folks. Are y'all still with me so far? Come on, I'm not being wicked, am I? So we removed the guy. And, you know, he comes back to London and him and his wife. You know, we're hoping that maybe they can reconcile whatever the pressures of pioneering. We don't know what it was. But, you know, he got back in our church and began to tell his mom how wicked we were. Pastor Carnegie and Pastor Ajala, mm-hmm, the two devils. I didn't even do anything, and he just goes on and on. Now, the mom had been in the church for a lot of years. Spiritual woman, Sunday school teacher, you know, used to always watch the kids there. And so I'm so, so confident that she's going to look at her son and say, you know what? I rebuke you. How dare you go out there and say that to my daughter-in-law and then come back in this church and start talking about our pastor and all this kind of stuff. She said, how dare you? And I'm just waiting for her to just slam him to the wall. You know what she does? Oh, mijo. Son, I can't believe they did that to you. And she began to take this kind of sloppy grace of, oh, Pastor Carnegie, Pastor Jada, they're just so mean. You didn't even do anything, son. You're just going through. And she takes this whole approach, and his confidence in his sin just begins to get bolstered. 
the older daughter who had been coming to church, you know, we're working with her soul. She gets on it. Yeah, that church, Pastor Carnegie, they're so wicked. Then the other teenage daughter who's always struggling with her faith, she gets on it. Uh Uh-huh. I can't believe they're all like that. And before you know it, everybody packs up and walks out of the church right into the arms of Satan. Whole family backslidden. The one youngest little one who probably didn't have enough spiritual intuition to understand what was going on is the one remaining holdout who didn't really, couldn't really understand everything. But all of them, the mother, the two daughters, and the son, they've all just got up and walked away. And along with them, some other very close friends in the church, they got on the bandwagon. Pastor Carnegie is the devil. Pastor Jala is the devil's assistant. And on and on and on. And before you know it, all of these people in a grand total of 15 to 16 people just walked away into the arms of Satan, backslidden because of one boy. Now, what am I saying to you? They couldn't survive his sin. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? I said it wasn't the mother's sin. It wasn't the teenage daughter's sin. It wasn't the older daughter's sin. It wasn't their friend's sin. It was none of their sin. It was his sin. But guess what? They couldn't survive what he did. And I'm here to tell you how important this is because listen to me. Most people do not understand the depth of spirituality that is wrapped up in relationships. Most people don't even know. They never even stop to think about it. See, when somebody's in your family and they're blood relatives, there is a connection that I don't have with you. When somebody is a very close friend and they're on the phone every night to you, you work together every day and, you know, they're fellowshipping with you in church and in ministry. Listen, there are things happening spiritually that I don't have with you. Do you understand that relationships are spiritual? And so it's hard to break that spiritual tie. And so when you have good friends and close family members, you got to understand one very important scripture in the Bible that says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Somebody say amen with me. Which means if your mama backslide, that don't mean you got to backslide. But I'm going to tell you something. In most cases, the son and the daughter get caught up in the mama's sin. You know why? Because they don't know how to survive. And so mama get mad and rebel and go to hell. And guess what? Everybody in the family gets mad and rebel and go to hell. Because you don't understand what God is telling us this morning. Is you've got to survive when other people sin. Somebody here say amen with me. Come on. You know, we had a funeral last year. One of the old precious saints of our church went to, went to be with the Lord, a lady named Mercy Kiwis. And so I mentioned that, you know, a lot of the people in, in the church... Uh, who used to go to church, backsliders and all kind of people, they, they came back for that funeral. And so there's one young lady who I hadn't seen for a long time. Her husband had just went off the deep end and backslidden and doing all the nightclub scene. He's, he's a drunk, he's drinking, and he's all kind of stuff. And so when I asked her how she was doing, she started crying. Hadn't seen her for a long time. And she started telling me how that her conscience is so violated. She's so full of guilt. She's living on the edge of shame. She doesn't know if she's right with God anymore. I mean, that's a horrible place to be spiritual. I said, well, I said, how did you get like that? She said, Pastor Carnegie, 
She said, when he stopped going to church, I stopped going. And I'm like, why? Because I didn't want to lose him. In other words, if he's going out to clubs and stuff, he's going to look at other girls and then that's going to happen. So I decided I'm going to go with him. Look at me. Don't do it. I just read to you, don't be a partaker of somebody else's sin. Come on, y'all talk to me, say amen. And so here's what happened. She said, I just started going with him. She's going to this nightclub, she says, and so he's drinking and saying, come on, honey. She says, no, 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 it's not right. I'm a Christian. I'm only here, you know, just to be with you so you can't be able to say I'm not there for you. And he would pour drinks for her. She said, I wouldn't do it. And he started getting angry at her. So she said, eventually she started drinking. And then she'd go home every Sunday and go to church and repent. God, I'm sorry for drinking last night. I'm so sorry. You know, and then she'd make it through and then she'd go and do it again. Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I said, you ain't got to live like that. So when I saw her, she's so full of guilt and shame. She's a wreck because spiritually she doesn't know if she's at right with God, at peace with God because she does this on Friday, Saturday and repent. Lord, I'm sorry. And she keeps doing it. Oh, you know what she's doing? She's partaking in his sin, isn't she? And when she began to cry on me to pray for her, I felt so hurt for her because here she understands exactly what I'm trying to tell you. You must survive when other people sin. So here is Hagar in this scripture. The Bible says that Hagar is so hurt by what Sarah has done. The Bible tells us that Sarah begins to show her bad face, we can say. Verse 6 in the text that we read in Genesis 16 says that Sarah dealt with her harshly. Now, we can almost imagine what, you know, how we say, showing someone bad face, rolling their eyes at them, speaking horrible words to them. And so now Sarah is putting more insult to the injury. And all of a sudden, Hagar can't take it anymore. The Bible says she packs her stuff. And the scripture says she heads out into the wilderness so she can get away, it says, verse 6, from the presence of Sarah. You know, in America today, we could almost be dubbed the generation of runners. I mean, I see it everywhere. Wives running, husbands running. Teenagers get up and they run away. It's like everybody's running. Backsliders running from the church. People running from the will of God. Running from the call of God. Running from ministry. And that's what's happening in the scripture. The Bible says Hagar gets up and she's fleeing from the presence of Sarah. The pressure is too much. The emotion is too much. I can't handle it. And what you're doing when you do this is you're jeopardizing every good thing God is trying to give you because of something somebody else did. Stop here today and say, Jesus, help me. Sarah did this, folks. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham. Sarah admitted her wrong. Sarah dealt with her harshly. If anybody should be struggling, it should be Sarah. But it's not Sarah. It's Hagar. It's the innocent one. Just like the innocents in this lady's family in England. Just like Winston Gale in Jamaica sitting back in his wheelchair. And the people who do wrong, they're the first ones to get all spiritual. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Say, so you devil, you. I'm hiding behind, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You got a trail of destruction. You've hurt people, borrowed money, won't pay them back, said things, gossip about them. You start all kind of trouble in the church, and then you come back, and hallelujah, praise the Lord, because they're out there serving. Uh-huh, see, I knew they wouldn't write with God. 
But what we don't know is you've caused the whole thing. And I'm here to tell you today, God wants to deal with us. You have to be a survivor. Somebody say amen with me. The scripture is teaching us you have to survive other people's sin. God don't want us to be partaker of what other people do. Somebody say amen with me. Not too long ago, I came home from preaching. And my wife and I were sitting at the morning table where I have my tea. Not coffee, tea. Trying to influence y'all now for the good. (laughs) And so we opened up the morning newspaper. And the headline in the morning paper said, University Rapist Caught. Down in Tucson, we had been plagued about a five-year span by a young man raping girls on the University of Arizona campus. So the police were concerned, and, you know, everybody's mobilized to try to catch the university rapist, but he keeps eluding. No one can find him. So I came home that morning, and front page of the paper, university rapist caught. So me and my wife were talking about it because the first line, they gave the name of the man that they had caught. And it was somebody who had been a member of our church since he was a little kid. Someone I used to slap around and play with. I had just seen him, you know, probably a couple months before that, he was in a morning service. He used to sell used cars. We had passed by. They had had a special car sale at Fry's, and so he was out there selling cars. I stopped, talked to him, chatted with him. Someone I knew very, very well, very close. So there he is. He's the suspect. So what they did is they took a DNA sample from him, matched positive on at least five of the girls that were raped, and they were going to go back and open some of the cold cases and connect his DNA to at least another three, possibly eight women raped by this young man. Now let me tell you the the, the real part of the story that's going to make a connection with our message today. His parents... Bible study leaders in the church, very good friends to us. My wife and I went to their house. They'd come to our house. It's just, you know, just very good friends to the family. So some years ago, the mom and dad decided that they were going to backslide. They don't want God anymore. So the mom backslid, and, you know, she's got a little boyfriend. The dad backslid. He's got some little hoochie mamas running around town with him. And so, you know, they're out there, you know, know, they're my age. They shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. And so they're out there, you know, and so these kids, you know, I I remember this one particular young boy, the one who was caught. I remember him coming to church on his own, even though his mom and dad have now turned away from everything he's ever known. He grew up in church. He's never heard cursing and swearing in his house. Now all of a sudden he's hearing it. He never saw alcohol and whiskey in his house. All of a sudden now he's seeing it. He's never had daddy bring home a girlfriend. It's always been mama. All of a sudden, these things are happening. It will freak young kids out. So the younger son went so far off the rails because the parents backslid that he ended up going to jail, and he had a 20-year sentence for drugs. The older son, who we're talking about here, ends up being the university rapist. I heard you last year that they sentenced him to 123 years in prison. We'll never see him again. His parents will never see him again. 
It's over. He's just a young guy. He's probably 30 years old. And I'm saying all that not because I'm trying to expose their business and make a mockery. That's not my spirit. That's not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it to you because of this. Though that boy raped those girls and his younger brother did all those drugs and we understand, you know, hey, people got to bear their own decisions. But if you're listening to what I'm saying, you know when it began. It didn't begin when he started raping or when his younger brother started doing drugs. I'll tell you when it began. It began when mom and dad gave up their commitment to Christ. It began when foreign things began to come into the home that was confusing them, things they had never seen and heard before, lessons that they had heard taught to them. Now they're seeing those lessons violated, commandments that they held sacred. Now those commandments mean nothing. And all of a sudden, these boys are tripping out, and they're at, right at the age where they're trying to work out their own spirituality and all kind of things. The signals are confusing. And all of a sudden, these two boys explode in criminal behavior. And I'll tell you, folks, uh, they didn't survive their parents' sins. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? And so I'm talking to you, mom and dad. If you want to get crazy and give up God, you better think about your children. If you've got that itchy thing inside of your head today that you know what, hey, I can't hang in there with this. And you've raised your kids to know God. You better understand something, folks, that is so important that we have that consistency in our home. And these boys I'm talking to you about, even though they tried and kept coming to church for a while on their own, they tried to survive, but they couldn't survive Somebody else's sin. That's what's happening to Hagar. And that's why I'm preaching this to you today. Now, I want you to go back to your scripture. Come on, everybody. We're in Genesis 16. I want you to go back to the scripture. and I want you to look at something with me. The Bible tells us that she takes off and goes into the wilderness. That's around verse number six and seven. And then the Bible says... That an angel, verse 7, follow it as I read. Come on, take a look at it. Says, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, what's the next word? Come on, say it loud. One more time. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. I'm going to tell you all, that's the last thing Hagar wanted to hear. After all that she's done to me. But I want you to think about what's happening in the scripture. God sends an angel to intercept her before she destroys herself. And when the angel found her running in the wilderness, he stops her and says, Hagar, listen. Listen, baby, listen, listen, listen. I know it's hard, but go back home. Well, I can feel this today. He said, go back. And I can just hear, but you don't know what she did. Listen, go back home. Yeah, God, but you don't know what she said about me. Go back home. And the reason God does this is because right here, your emotions try to take over. 
And I know you've heard it from Pastor Campbell many times, and I'm so glad that at least I can get to add my little piece this morning. But you listen to me. Your emotions must not be allowed to dictate your destiny. And the reason he intercepts her is because God has a plan for Hagar. He reveals it to her. But you know what? She doesn't care about plan and ministry and destiny and family. Just like these people who backstep from God and their sons, the rapists. They're not even thinking about any of that stuff. My emotions take over. I don't want to be married no more. I want to get me a new girlfriend. And emotions take over and destroy every good thing God is trying to build. So the angel... Says, Hagar, go back home. And you could almost hear what he's trying to communicate in the spirit to her. He's trying to say, listen, don't throw away God's will because of what Sarah did. You're not wicked, you're not horrible. Don't enter into her judgment. Come on, Hagar. I'm talking to you. I'm your God. I'm your Savior. I know what they did and they did and they did and all of that stuff. It's all very real. But the reality at the end of the day is you still got to get to heaven. Can you all say amen with me? And if every little feeling turns you out of God's will, then we might as well burn our Bibles and go home and just give this whole thing up because emotions are going to kill us all. Listen to me. You've got to survive when other people sin. Say amen with me. He's saying to her, don't you do wrong because she did wrong. That family is a place of destiny. That man Abraham is a son of God. There is blessing in that household and you're there by the purpose of God, that seed in your womb. Everything is in God's plan. Don't get crazy and do this just because it feels good. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? Saying go home and submit yourself back under that family. And what we learn there is just how valuable headship really is to God, isn't it? Because you know she didn't feel like submitting herself. But he said, if you'll do it, you'll be blessed. Don't you thank God for the word of God? You know, just the other day, I was in South Africa preaching, and I learned something about Mahatma Gandhi that I never knew. I was reading it. They were talking about a church there in South Africa where Mahatma Gandhi, you know, he was the big... kind of like the the Martin Luther King of India, you know, peace movement, civil rights, kind of helping to break India out of the enslavement of the British, you know, imperialism and, you know, great leader, you know, there in the nation of India, great hero to those people. You know, that when he was studying in South Africa, he was so captivated by the claims of Christ that he literally went into a Dutch Reformed Christian church on a Sunday morning so that he could hear more about Jesus. He had been witnessed to by people. He had heard about Christ, and he really loved the whole idea of the Sermon on the Mount and and blessed are the peacemakers and all these things that Christ said about do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And though he may have been slightly politically motivated, these things of Christ seemed to fit in 
to how he thought people should live. He says, I need to know this man. I need to know more about his teachings and philosophy. So he gets up, gets a Bible, and he goes to a Dutch Reformed church on a Sunday morning. He's going to sit down, and he's going to hear the gospel preached. And he was met at the door by two large white South Africaners, you know. These were the ones who were the initiators of apartheid. And they stopped him at the door and asked him, "Uh, where are you going? He said, I'm coming to church to hear about Christ. And they said to him, we don't allow your kind here. Because he was a dark man. You know, Gandhi wrote in his journal, he was so wounded by that. He said, I'll never go to a church again. I'll never, ever attempt to go into a Christian church ever again because that is not what I thought Jesus was. And he never did. Died without ever being converted. And I know that God was leading that man in that direction. Because of his importance to India and to the world, can you imagine if Gandhi had been a Christian? Imagine if he had been kind of like the Martin Luther King, not just preaching freedom, but the gospel, freedom based upon Christ and forgiveness. Can you imagine how that would have changed the whole history of those people, how much open India would be to us today? All these nations from Sri Lanka right through Pakistan. Can you imagine? See, but I'm going to tell you why it's not. Because Gandhi didn't survive somebody else's sin. Come on, say amen. He wasn't the racist, they were. But he couldn't survive what they did. Those words cut him down to the heart and wounded him to the point he says, you know, I'll never go to church again. He didn't survive and history turned out the way it did. And I'm here to tell you all along the way, it's human weakness and frailty that keeps disturbing God's plan. And the angel came to Hagar and said, no, don't disturb God's plan because your emotions, because of what she did. He said, you go back home. And I could just hear the Holy Spirit as Gandhi is walking away from that church. Go back, go back. How about that church over there? There's a church over there. Come on, there's some people dark like you. Go to that church. And you know, I'm never going to another church again. Because he couldn't survive somebody else's sins. What I want to do tonight, I mean this morning as we finish this message, is I'm going to say a few things to you that I'm hoping are going to help you. Because what we said at the beginning of the service is we all want to be a survivor. Folks, listen, I know people are going to do me some things before Jesus comes and takes me home. I know it. And I got to keep my head straight. You got two else well. And so I was praying and just saying, God, you know, give me some ideas, some things. So I think back about Winston. Hmm. There are hypocrites that go to church. There are hypocrites in government. They're hypocrites in schools. They're hypocrites in your family. They're hypocrites at Walmart. There's hypocrites in the White House staff. Listen, folks, uh, this is just humanity. Can you say amen? And so the reality is, is people's hypocrisy doesn't change this book one bit. Come on, I need more amens than that. I said people's hypocrisy don't change this book. Just because that woman is a hypocrite and talked about Winston in his wheelchair and his begging and all that kind of stuff. You know, hey, doesn't matter that she's a hypocrite. Doesn't change this. And the reality is people will hurt you. And the reality is people will say things to wound you. But you listen to me. Jesus is still coming again. Say amen. 
Heaven is still heaven. Hell is still hell. Demons are demons and the devil is the devil. And one day we're still going to stand before God, whether we stand before him brokenhearted because of people's words or we stand before him victorious, doesn't matter. We're still going to stand there. And my point today is you're going to have to grit your teeth, get filled with the Holy Ghost and say, I'm going to be a survivor. I'm not going to partake of somebody else's sin. If they're going to hell, they're going by themselves. I'm not going with them. I can't stand here and promise you that it's going to get easier. I don't know what your people are like. I don't know what your marriage is like, what your mama's like, or your friends are like. They might be trying to plot to stab you in the back even while we're in church. I can't make you no promises that's going to get better, but I will tell you the Holy Ghost can keep you. Listen to me, folks. The angel said, go back home, submit yourself. There is blessing in that house. And I know it wasn't easy for her. But you can survive it. Now I'm going to finish with Anesta. Anesta's two sisters were members of our church in England. They were from the island of St. Vincent in the Caribbean. Her two sisters were living in London and they invited her to come up to England to live with them because the father had been molesting young Anesta from the time she was a young girl. She's now 18 years old. And so they created a refuge for her. So when she came to London and visited our church with them for the first time, she kind of sat there and never said anything to anyone. She would always keep her head down. You don't, the shame. There's a special place in hell for people who do this. The only hope for you if you're a hidden molester in this crowd somewhere is that the blood of Jesus can come and wash you today. And here's an opportunity for you to come and just say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. You fall before God. God God can help you today. And she's sitting there in the service with her head down. Just She wouldn't speak. You know, I'd go and say hi to her, and she'd kind of look at me and just kind of, she wouldn't talk to me. She was so messed up. I remember we went over to their house for a fellowship, and I tried to break the ice and talk to her. She wouldn't talk. But, you know, the funny thing is, by the grace of God, she just kept on coming to church. And I'm there preaching. We'd have revivals and stuff, and she'd be there, but she wouldn't respond. But you know, God is such a good God. Little by little, the word of God was breaking through those cracks. And I'm sure going through her mind was, if I answer this altar call and get saved, then I'll have to forgive him and all kind of stuff. And and you just know she's going through all her, and so she would never respond, never answer the altar call, anything. So I started getting really concerned. I would always talk to her sisters, how's she doing? Because I was thinking, man, she's so tormented. She might commit suicide and then the miracle happened one day where Anesta just on her own prayed to receive Christ and little by little and, and, and these are real miracles folks these are not you know people jumping around saying I'm healed I feel better these are real miracles because they come through lots of tears and her first little smile to me was far more joyous then somebody saying, my broken leg is rehealed. That first little smile, that the first time she said, hello, pastor, was like, I mean, that's like raising from the dead. Now she sends me emails. Pastor, we miss you. And all and all. 
and, and, and I can't give you any big, big transition moments. There are little things along the way. But the reality is she kept coming to church. She kept sitting there in silence. The first little smile cracked. She has kept coming to church. Little by little, she started answering altar calls. And she just, somewhere in her spirit, she just kept saying to herself, I've got to survive what my daddy did to me. She never communicated that to me in those words, but you could see it in her spirit. She has kept coming to church. She has kept on what she's saying. This is not going to destroy me. This is not going to ruin me. I'm only 18 years old. I'm not going to let this mess my life up, start cutting my wrist and freaking out and living on pills and going insane, never having a family, getting angry, possibly turning into a lesbian. You know what she said? You know what? I'm going to keep my sanity. And she has kept on allowing that sweet word of God to break another wall down, break another wall down. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday revival, bam, another brick falls, another one falls until the first little smile. Hallelujah. And all she kept saying is, I am going to survive. And she made it, praise God. And she's serving God in the church today, a beautiful Christian girl, got the victory, loves the Lord. Listen. All she said is, I'm going to survive. My dad was a wicked man for what he did. And I'm not going to partake of his sins. And the last thing I want to do is go to the same hell where he's going. But that's exactly what happened. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And she fought through and she survived and she's serving the Lord faithfully today. Now my message is clear is that you must survive as well. The beautiful thing about the Christian church is we don't just say that out there and just kind of leave you out there to find your own way. There's a place where we can get before God where the Holy Spirit can come and help us. And our desire is to pray for you today that the Holy Spirit will come. And there's all kind of things. And, you know, I, I, I can imagine, you know, relationships that have gone bad, things that have happened in people's lives personally, issues that maybe you've never even talked to Pastor Campbell about. And all God is telling you today is you can survive it. Praise God. You hear me? You can survive it. Yeah, but Pastor Carnegie, they got me fired. You can survive it. Praise God. But they ripped me off, took all of my money, cleaned out my account. <laughs> You can survive it. You can take revenge and be locked up like them. Or you can survive it in the name of Jesus and go on and show the devil what God is trying to teach our dear friend Hagar. And I'm telling you, folks, we really can do this in the name of Jesus. Do you all believe what I'm saying here today? That's what makes the gospel better than any other message in the world. So let's take a few moments today and let's bow our heads for a time. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,